Hello, welcome to the podcast Real People, Real Lives, Women Immigrants of New York, a storytelling project from New Women New Yorkers. Real People, Real Lives highlights a diverse picture of immigrant women living in the city. It elevates these narratives, moving beyond statistics and political rhetoric. During 2020 and 2021, we interviewed immigrant women from all walks of life. They were selected through an open call or contacted directly to ensure the participation of women from different backgrounds and affected by the pandemic in various ways. The participants talked about their immigrant experience within the backdrop of a year like no other, marked by the pandemic, Black Lives Matter, and the presidential election. Each story you will hear is a unique mix of determination, hope, challenges, and victories, small and big. Today, meet Dorothy, a teacher from Nigeria. Her life was hit hard by COVID-19. While Dorothy is finding her way out of the pandemic, she sends a message of hope to all New Yorkers. I was a teacher back in Nigeria. I wanted to come and see America, and the kids I teach, they have a lot of questions. It was more of an educational vacation. Okay, I'm going to go to America, and when I come back, I'll answer most of your questions, maybe not all. <laughs> I came in 2016, and yes, that was when I met my husband. We met through his friend, who is also my friend. We got married in 2018, so I had to relocate to America. That's why I came. And um, it wasn't because I had planned to come to America, but because, um, you know, the per my husband lives here and he's always lived here for years. And um, he, he wasn't going to just um, get up and come, come to Nigeria, where I'm from, so I had to come over here so I can be with him. So I left my job, my family, my friends, everything I know. I was having the time of my life, and and I felt like I didn't want to just um just just pack up and come here. I didn't have any. What would I do? My main question that I kept asking my husband was, what am I going to do in America? It will be starting all over again. I don't want to start all over again. And, you know, I I learned that if you come here and you have to have the qualifications to teach, to do that, I'm like, I don't have that time. How am I going to start to go to school again? And to it was all so difficult because i was already where i i where i wanted to be and i could there was so much room for me to grow in every any any area i wanted to and now you're asking me to give it all up and come here so it was kind of very challenging for me Love makes you do um, funny things, I guess. <laughs>
my husband is Nigerian, so he's lived here um, for over 20 years. So, well, he's more American now than Nigerian because <laughs> um, I'm still Nigerian because I remember a lot of things and I'm always talking about Nigeria. Um, we do this, we do that, and he obviously has forgotten a lot of things. When I think of home, I think of Nigeria. The food, you know, they just put two slices of bread together and say it's a sand sandwich and they call it lunch. And I'm like, oh no. I don't think, and then I began to feel like, I think I have to go back. We have to go home. And my husband said, we're not going anywhere. I still um, cook Nigerian meals. I make, we have all this soup. We have a goosey soup, Ogbono. We have um, jollof rice. We have, um, you know, I make something that is like a, like a, a fast a snack on the street of Nigeria. They call it boli, roasted plantain. I still make all those things. I don't want to forget. <laughs> and then make um, beans, like um, um, they call it um, agoin. Beans, you make it and make a sauce. You eat it with the beans, the honey beans, the kind of beans we have in Nigeria. Is, and make um, stew. You know, eat rice and stew. You make plantain, fried plantain, dodo. And then uh, you make um, bean soup, okra soup. Yeah. And um, you eat it with what we call fufu. Yeah. You make the oatmeal or you make it with um, pounded yam. We have pounded yam. And, um, vegetable soup yeah i i was glad to find out that i can still make those things when i got here <laughs> because somebody said when you go to america no more pounded yam for you and i came to america and i can still have pounded yam biggest struggle was Finding job, one, because everybody, people kept telling me, um, you have to do um, um, nursing, or you have to be a home health aid worker, or you have to do, um, you have to do something in the medical line, because that's where you can make some money, because um, nobody's going to um, let you teach their kids in America because I need a long process. And um, if you want to do any other thing, you have to go to school all over again, but you can start from being a medical, the what they might home health aid worker, and you do um, nursing, you do, and I was like, I can't even stand my own blood. I don't think I want to be a nurse. So, but it's like, you have to make do that or you, you are going to work in a store, be a cashier, and work in a daily, or, you know, those are the jobs available to immigrants, work in the restaurants, wait, be wait tables, and I was like, my goodness, you know, 
So it was, and then the weather, I was like, my goodness, even if I get a job, how am I going to go out when it's winter? I'll freeze over and become a, a snow statue and oh, what's going to happen to me? I, I was just stuck here in the house for some time. But I had a lot of people who were encouraging me, start somewhere, do something. So I decided to go out and I got a job working in a daily. And, and it was very, very, very difficult because I did not know what the food was all the names you know all the food and i couldn't pronounce the food um middle is it um middle eastern food they had all those i don't know what they called the food there was hummus there was um, baba ganoush there was all the food but i had to learn and it was um I had to learn to make some of the things, you know, I had to take orders. I had to all the customers. Some of them were rude. <laughs> well, just felt that was the learning. I got another job as a cashier. Then I had to serve, um, I had to um, serve soup during the winter. Oh my God. And, it was in this cup and the thing just pops open and spills over the counter and I'm like, oh no, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. But somehow I had to learn and then I had been a cashier helped me to learn the money. I didn't know I had to, to make give the change, you know that okay, this is twenty dollars, how many cents, how many pennies, so I was learning about the money, being a cashier. So, until I, I did that work until the COVID. My biggest um, achievement since coming here is overcoming my fears of starting all over again and stepping out to do something, anything at all. And um, yeah, I, I, I was so afraid of... Um, you know how I was gonna come from being a vice principal and with all my schooling to just being a cashier for the rest of my the remaining of my life. But I just took the big step and I started doing something, going out, and meeting people, and then talking to other um, immigrant women like myself. And I found out that they had the same kind of fears that I had, no matter how long they've been here. So I was like, so you've been here 20 years and you're doing the same, you've been a cashier in the same store for 20 years? Why? What did you used to do when you got here? And I'm shocked that they were like educated and they had all this American dream and here they were. So I made up my mind. I said, I don't think that that's proper. You know, there's so much more you can become here. You just need to 
um, step out of your fear. So I've been able to overcome my fears of, okay, how am I going to start? I'm going to start from where I am and I'm going to get to where I want to be. So this, wherever I'm, whatever I'm doing now, wherever I am now is a starting point for me. And no matter how afraid I am, I would go and do it afraid until I get the courage to know that, yes, I can do this. I'm working at Dalton. The Dalton School, it felt like I was now breathing. <laughs> you know, I was, you know, before then, it felt like I was on oxygen or life support. <laughs> When I walked into that building and I saw the children, it was like I was revived. It felt like, ah, oh, this is what I know. And I was happy. It was easy. And apart from some of the, the IT stuff we're all getting used to now, Zooming and all that, a lot of the other things came easily to me. It's a kind of environment I'm used to from where I'm coming from. I find out that children will be children and teachers will be teachers. <laughs> so it's so good to be among people who are thinking like me and who I can talk to and we, 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 are, we speak the same language and we are there because we want the children to succeed. My job is a um, learning um, supervisor, um, which is a position I believe um, was created because of the COVID. It's not a position that existed before the COVID because the teachers were teaching remotely. The whole school was operating um, remotely. So they brought us in to be um, in the in-person um, school environment to help the children. Um, stay socially distant, wear the mask, you know, take them to recess, and so. Well, yes, we I did all that last year, but this year the teachers are back, and because they still need us, the class that used to be like a single class is now split in two, three, you know, depending on the number of children. So the learning supervisors are still there to help with the technology and to help make sure the kids are keeping to their space and they've been monitored, they're wearing their masks, just to help the teachers do their teaching job well. Last year, I worked with first graders. They were awesome. <laughs> uh, I've worked with, uh, in my country, I worked with kids from um, first grade all the way to um, 12th grade yeah so I have experience across board so and um, this year I'm working with um, second graders where which is just exactly the place I started in my country <laughs> I started in a second grade class as a class teacher so when I met these kids they reminded me so much of where my teaching career started because they just say the same bold second graders who ask you all the most surprising questions. Working at the school, 
has also um, brought me in contact with the city. The children have been learning about the landmarks in New York. That we go there virtually. There's a tour guide from room to room, from street to street, been around most part of the city, Manhattan. So um, I'm just finding out what New York is about. <laughs> just by being in the school, I'm not moving around, but I'm sitting in there. And I'm traveling to the, the, the People's Palace. That's the New York Library. It's beautiful. You know, we are going to the Guggenheim Museum, beginning to feel like I'm in New York. Because I, I haven't been to all these places. These past two weeks have been my welcome to New York City, Dorothy. I only knew that my color meant something when I got here. And I was really shocked. It's one thing to hear about racism. It's another thing to experience it. I've been a black woman in Nigeria. I've been a black woman. Every woman is black. <laughs> we only have complexions. Maybe I'm lighter, you're darker. I wasn't bothered by color, racism, tribalism. I was free, independent. I could move to any part of the country, live there. But when I came here and I walk into a place and people stare at me and I'm like, is my dress out of order? Am I missing a button and my hair scattered? You know, I, I don't think about my color first. <laughs> I think of something else. Maybe, oh, maybe I'm not properly dressed or, you know. That's my thought, but when I began to realize that it was my complexion, I'm like, really? Um, I have one complexion. The white person has a lot of colors. They blush, they turn red. They, they are afraid, they turn white. Well, you know, pale. <laughs> so I don't have a color problem. And I'm just a dark shade of the human race. But it matters here. And I don't understand why. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to, to, I don't want it to get into my heart. <laughs> you know, I just want to be the person I want to be, see people as people, relate to them on that level, love people, help people when I can, understand people because I have my challenges as a black person as much as the white person. So, well, it's a problem here. There are doors that wouldn't just open because of your color. And that hurts. But the only way to open those doors is to rise above the cap. Slavery has happened years and years and years. Generations have passed. But what are we going to do with today? Today is our opportunity to heal and to succeed together because we are from different divides, but we have a lot in common as human beings. When I go to Manhattan, I feel comfortable. Then when I'm coming home at night, I feel afraid because when I was walking at night, 
I was attacked twice getting off the train. The, um, um, the black man trying to snatch my bag and fortunately the car stopped and the person was honking and he ran away. So I come to the neighborhood where I'm supposed to, my people live and I'm afraid. You know? So how do you say that? You need to move on, on or get out of home. Oh, the color of my skin is black. So the cops are following me. Yeah, they do that. They do that here. You know, they drive and you're watching you. It's not about the white people or the black people. It's about my own identity. Who am I? What do I want? How am I going to achieve it? Where am I going to? How am I going to influence my community to be better? We have to change the history by changing our mindset and our communities to focus on the things that make us better, productive. That's what we have to do. Last year was was my I was like my trial by fire <laughs> because my husband had the COVID so um, he was in the hospital for 66 days he went to rehab came home he still had to have the nurses come home and help us I was out of job I stopped working so I can take care of him. I was just in the house all by myself, cry, pray. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't go out, go read. Suddenly this one phone call. We go to the same church, but we were not close. And she said, oh, how are you? We were calling to check on you. And said, Michael, are you fine? And I told her, no, I'm not. <laughs> He's in the hospital fighting for his life and all I keep hearing is bad news, bad news. They keep telling me he's not going to make it. I, I don't know what to do. I'm just so... She said, no. And then she started to call all these people. And people started calling me. So many people, we didn't know who they were, calling us from everywhere. Some of them will come... And we, they bring us all, all this stuff. I have to go downstairs. And at, at the point, I didn't know where to put all the food. <laughs> and people sending us money. And people calling me now. I said, oh, do you need the rent you have? Can call this person? Call. You know, I was, suddenly I had so much help. And I was so... I was surrounded by strangers who were helping me. I didn't know who they were. <laughs> I knew just my husband and one other person in New York. That was all the people I knew, two people. And suddenly, now I know so many people because of one phone call. Amazingly, last year, I felt the impact of my friends and my family. More than the more than the government could have helped me, because of course my husband is the American. He was not able to do anything. He had challenges with his um memory because he had the 
stroke, his mind, so many things. So he was there and I didn't know my way around. I didn't know which, who to call, what, 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 what was I entitled to? What was he entitled to? I didn't know. And when you call people, they ask me questions I couldn't answer because really I said, I don't know my husband. Um, I, I've not been in America long enough to know my way around such things. So some people say, oh, do this. You, you, you should go to um, what you call all these agencies. Call this number. Call that number. You'll get food. Call this number. So it was so challenging for me, you know, and um, some of it was not just one call solved the problem. When you call this person, they say, no, call this person. They call this person. They say, you need to be this. You need to be that. You need to have this. You need to have worked for this long to be able to assess this benefit. And I said, but I have my green card. It wasn't just enough. <laughs> so, and then um, the healthcare, because um, of the COVID, we couldn't go to the um, for the therapy. You can imagine that since last year's um, September, my husband is just starting to go back to therapy this February. So imagine all the time he did, he was without therapy. It affected us, and but family, our family was there. And my family, not just in America, but in Nigeria, you know, they found ways to send us all a lot of things we needed all the way. And um, a lot of, then we made new friends. He's not been able to go back to work yet, but we see improvement every day. Yeah, he still has to go to therapy and all that so we we just um we believe that he'll be fine found out that no matter the challenges there's always a way out <laughs> all you need to do is dial the right number speak to the right person and there is help at the other end there's always someone to speak to there's always some relief there's always something that can help you get out of the whatever challenge you have. Coming from 2020, a lot of people have been through so much. And I feel like the immigrant women have been through much more because it's um, exposed um, the things that they have access to, their true position as immigrant women. It was so much to take. But when I got to the Dalton School and discovered that the motto for the Dalton School was go forth unafraid, <laughs> I kind of felt like I know why I'm here, you know. So I want to say to every immigrant woman out there and to every New Yorker as well, because New Yorkers was the, one of the worst hit places. I just want to say to them to rise up from the ashes of um, COVID 19 
and go forth into this new future unafraid. Go forth unafraid. Be bold, be courageous, and dream again. New York will be back. <laughs> New York is such a, um, I think there's no place in the world like New York. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast today. This week's episode was produced and scripted by Bruna Shapira and Ariel Carlo. Editing is by Natalia Rolim. My name is Daniela Golombeski, and I am thrilled to be your host. For more information about real people, real lives, and the transcript of this episode, head to nywomenimmigrants.org. Next week, in our final episode, you'll meet Anastasia, an educator from Kazakhstan. The third edition of Real People, Real Lives, Women Immigrants of New York, is made possible in part with funding from the William Tobel Human Foundation. Join the conversation by sending us a message through social media or at anchor.fm slash realpeoplereallives. You can also reach us at realpeople at nywomenimmigrants.org. See you next week.